Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with WWE Hall of Famer Diamond Dallas Payne. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I sit down with a WWE Hall of Famer. He's the founder of DDP Yoga. And he's got a new show coming out on Netflix. It's going to premiere March 1st. And it's called Guardians of Justice. Ladies and gentlemen, Diamond Dallas Page. Dallas, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, my pleasure, Brett. My pleasure. Very cool. This is different. It's the first wrestler I've had on. I'm excited. It's out of my wheelhouse. I'm going to get I'm going to get educated today. I'm going to walk you through and you're you're going to teach me a lot about wrestling. But but it's great having you on. Um, You're starting this new show. Uh, Denise Richards is in it. It's uh, a kind of a, I don't know. A, a lot of these Netflix shows are taken off. I, I think recently Squid Games. Is it that type? Give me a little insight no, well, to the, to the new like show. A, this is a, this is a different type of, uh, it's a, it's a satire. It's a very dark satire, you know, on all the superhero genre and it's mixed. What makes it really different. It's mixed with the live action of real actors and real fight scenes mixed with a lot of animation. Like it's set in 1987. So there's like, eight different types of 2d animation that was used in 1980, you know, in the eighties. And it's also mixed of 3d animation and claymation. And it's like, it's something like you've never seen before. And what's pretty cool. It's gotten some really great reviews out there about show. You must see, uh, you know, it's guardians of justice. So I'm just happy to be a part of it. And it's, it's a lead for me. So it's something it took us seven years really to put together because it really wasn't made for Netflix or the big screen. It was something my buddy Adi Shankar was doing for YouTube and then it kind of came out pretty good. So he's like, let's make it into a movie. So we added a bunch more to it and then it was too long to be a movie. And then he was doing something with Netflix called Castlevania, which was another animation series. And it like blew up on Netflix, kind of like Squid Games, just completely different. And uh, they were like, what else do you have? And about three years ago, he said, well, I've got this thing I call Guardians of Justice. It's a very dark you know, satire on these uh, superhero genres. And uh, they saw what, you know, the beginning parts of what we'd worked on. And they were like, sure, let's do it. And they threw a bunch of it, much more animation in it. And uh you know, it's going to be a lot of fun for people who love that type of genre. Very cool. It's seven episodes. It premieres, I believe, tomorrow night. Uh, and we'll, we'll be talking that throughout this, throughout the podcast. But we're going to get to DDP and your life. Uh, who's the biggest wrestling fan that I would never guess is a huge wrestling fan? Mm, God. <laughs> It could be anywhere from stockbrokers to, you know, it's, it's people who ever grew up with it and dug it uh, for the art of what it is. You know, it's interesting today because when we were over and you know, we were doing the Monday night, the Monday night wars, 
you know, is where, you know, wrestling really blew up in 1995, six, seven, eight, nine. And, uh, we kind of took over cable television. And, uh, at that point it wasn't just the Copenhagen different coupon clip and draft beer drinking redneck. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was water cooler talk. Uh, like what happened on nitro, what happened on raw, and it, I think it was the, you know, the war itself that really blew up the whole ratings thing because they tripled within a year. And it, it man, I, I go back to when I was a kid, I grew up in Jersey. We grew up close to each other. I was in the Cherry Hill area. I know you were, uh, end up living in Tom's river, I believe, but, uh, point pleasant. Man, Point Pleasant. I, I, I was. I I, re, I remember those early days. You know, the Bob Backlands of the world, and and uh, Killer Khan and Andre the Giant when he'd make his special. I don't know. I I, I dig that, and that's my childhood. I want I want to talk all about that as we go. But your childhood, uh, Point Pleasant, New Jersey, as you pointed out, you were born. Uh, give me a little snapshot of DT, DDP as a kid. What was it like growing up? Uh, I know you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. What sports did you enjoy the most? I, I know you played hoop in high school. Take me through a little of your childhood. Yeah, well, I, the only reason I played basketball was because as you know, I was a football player and I loved football. And uh, <clears throat> that and hockey were my two favorite sports. And when I was 12 years old, uh, I ran out in front of a car <laughs> and it hit my right knee, my face bounced off the hood and I flew 42 feet for the point of impact and uh, woke up on the other side of the street. It was all snowy and slushy. And next thing I know, I'm being pulled into a cop car and rushed to the hospital. And, you know, back in 19, I guess it, I was 12 years old. It was 1968. You know, there was no such thing as rehab like today, like, First of all, they probably wouldn't even have cut my leg. They probably would have scoped it or something. Who knows? But it was, a, I, I tore my meniscus and my ACL. So maybe they would have had to do a, more than just a scope. But uh, the guy who fixed it was like, all right, you're done with combat sports. And I was like, what? <laughs> and like, you know, combat sports, football. The hockey, they considered hockey combat sports, but they would let me play base, basketball and baseball, and both games I sucked at. And, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you know, like, no, football, like, in my mind, I'm going to play for the Dallas Cowboys, you know, New York Giants. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play defensive end for somebody. And uh, that wasn't happening because that dream was over as a kid. And, um, you know, as a baseball player, you, you know, you, you need guys to play with. As a basketball player, you don't need anybody. I mean, you you can shoot layups and foul shots and hooks and practice dribbles and throw it off the wall for passes. I mean, there's you have you can do, you know, because since I sucked at both of them, who's going to pick you to be on the team? <laughs> so uh, it, the big thing I learned like in seventh grade, I didn't even make the basketball team, but I didn't care. I was a football player in eighth grade. I made the team and I sat on the bench and I never sat on the bench. So that summer I swore that would never happen again. And basketball was the only sport I really had then. So I played 24 seven and that following year as, as a freshman, 
I didn't, you know, I didn't sit on the bench. I started and by the time I was a sophomore, I was starting varsity. And, you know, I, I really learned that work ethic equals results. And that was, so that was a huge learning curve for me for the rest of my life. And the only other thing about being a child growing up, I grew up at a time when no one knew what the hell ADD or dyslexia was. So I literally couldn't read. I mean, I cheated my way through school. You know, one thing about people who are dyslexic, you 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 become very adaptable. You know, you figure out how to get around shit. Like today, today, you know, there's actually dyslexic schools and stuff. But again, back then in 19, you know, in the 60s, no one knew what that was. Right. And as a kid, that's really interesting, too, because you're right. Today, it seems like kids, if anything, they might be overdiagnosed with stuff. But back yeah, when, when you were a kid sure. and you're a little bit older than I am, you know, I, I never heard of any of these things. It's well, that kid's got this. No, we didn't have anything. They just dealt with it. And, and you make a good point as a kid. That could be tough, though. You know, you know that you're not you're not able to read like the kid next to you yet you don't want to be that kid that can't read so you do you find a way uh to get around it in life and just kind of fake it fake it until you figure it out and and as a kid that's got to be a tough thing yeah um it was <clears throat> but i did get very involved you know in classroom discussions and stuff because i'm a smart guy you know but just couldn't that reading thing i just thought well, i just can't read you know, so I'll figure out a way around it. And I didn't even really start to learn how to read till I was 31 years old. You know, I was listening to some of those uh, Tony Robbins tapes because I couldn't read his books, but I could listen to his tapes. And, um, you know, out of it, you know, it really taught me a lot of different lessons that I use and teach today. Um, but when it came down to me setting a goal for myself, that I'm going to learn how to read proficiently. Uh, <clears throat> the first thing I did was set a goal for myself that I was going to read a book from cover to cover. Like that was my first big undertaking, you know, when, when learning by myself how to read. And, um, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal to most people, but to me it was overwhelming. So again, I applied some of the lessons that I learned, like if something's really overwhelming, well, break it down. You know, so I decided I'm going to read one page from that book every day. And like so many people who go on, you know, who do my DDP yoga program and they'll, they'll, you know, beginning of the year, they're setting a new resolution or whatever. And they say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this program and I'm going to really stick to it. But if you don't write it down, if you don't burn it in your brain, if you don't make yourself accountable, most likely within the first couple of weeks, you're going to quit. You know, and that's what most people do. But in this scenario, I just didn't, you know, think it. I inked it and I put it everywhere. I put read today and I put it everywhere. And my goal was I'm not taking this down until I finish this book. Yeah, and it took about a year, but I finished it. And uh, that was the beginning, you know, me really on this journey. And it got a little bit better and a little bit better because I, I knew I wanted to be an actor. And really, ideally, to be an actor, you really got to know how to read. And <clears throat> I don't think that I really, really got <clears throat> to the level I'm at today until I got out to Los Angeles. And I was, you know, I was um, enrolled in an acting school as soon as my wrestling career, as soon as I, you know, said goodbye. 
and walked away from it, went out to LA. I'd hooked up with this place called the Eris Learning Center. And it's for kids and adults who have reading disabilities. And I went through a friend of mine who used to go to this uh, one lady, her name was Rose. Back when he was, she was teaching him, he, she was about 80. Uh, when I was with her, she was about 85 or 86. And she said, I took home more homework than any student she ever had <clears throat> because I really wanted to, you know, I wanted to get better. And so every Monday and every Thursday, I would go see Rose. Uh, I did that for about nine months. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm doing pretty good now. And uh, just kept working on it, you know. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan? Thanks, Boone. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code BOON. B-O-O-N-E, bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code Boone at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-HOPENY or text HOPENY. Four six seven three six nine. And now back to my interview with Diamond Dallas Page. You talk about life lessons, and uh, you know it hit me when you said, "You know, I got through that book. You knew that you couldn't read, and you said, i 'I'm going to read a book.' And it was one page at the beginning, then it was two. But when you finished it, it had to be an empowering thing. And I think that's a good lesson. You know, I, I applied that the second half of my career. You know, on the baseball field, it, it's I'd set my goal and I and I would set it high. And because I believe that the mind is the most powerful thing we have, you know, as athletes, yeah, our body and how fast we are and how big and strong and fast we are, that has a lot to do with, and it translates onto the field, but our still, our biggest tool, and I tell kids today is our brains. And if we can, if you think you're great, you are great. When you accomplish little tasks in life, they build up and they build up. And the next thing you walk into the room and your chest is puffed out and people are looking at you different because I don't know. I always thought, you know what, I'm going to do something that everybody else isn't doing and I'm going to complete that task. And it's going to empower me as an athlete to, to kind of find that edge, find that, find something, you know, if, if I'm playing against Ken Griffey Jr., 
I know that I'm inferior athletically. So how am I going to compete with him? I got to, I got to find an edge, right? I got to dig down, whether it's my diet. I I always thought I got to take away something from myself that I love. And if I can do that, I can do anything. I don't know. It's just interesting when you say the reading thing and, and the struggles you had as a kid, it had to be when you finally started taking that initiative and say, I'm going to read this book. And you, and you got to the first 10 pages, then 20. Next thing you know, you're, you're creeping towards the end of that book. You finished the book. You had to close that thing and say, hell yeah, I can do this. If I can do this, I can do anything. I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong. No, not at all. I think, I think it all <clears throat> comes down to confidence. I think whatever builds your confidence and the places you feel, you know, so many people will like, let's say, go to the gym and, you know, they got big arms. So they work their arms all the time. What about your chest? What about your shoulders? What about your legs? What about your back? You know, uh, they, they, a lot of people will just apply their strengths and keep working their strengths. I've always been that guy that has always worked his weakest link. And, uh, you know, if I wasn't good at that, I, I worked on that harder. You know, when I, when I got, when I got called into the WWE hall of fame and they said, so what would you like in your, your ring? I think I'm going to put my name or DDP or whatever. And I put, I said, have them put in there work ethic equals dreams, explanation point DDP. And that's really what it comes down to. It's like putting the work in. Like I start shooting <clears throat> tomorrow. Yes, Guardians of Justice comes out. And that was a seven-year journey. But I start filming a show uh, that I'm 100% financing. And it's called, <clears throat> excuse me, it's called Change or Die. And it's wrapped around people that if they don't change their lifestyle, there's a really good chance in the very near future, some of them will actually die. And you said something very powerful early on. You said the brain, you know, like you can train all your different muscles of your body. And right now, um, you know, taking a few headshots that I've taken over the years, you know, as a professional wrestler is one thing that's reigns true for absolutely everyone. You can't fake gravity. You know, especially when someone's like Randy Macho Man Savage is coming up the top of the rope and he's 250 pounds and he lands on your head. And next thing you know, you're walking around backstage going, Did I just wrestle? You know, <clears throat> it happened more times than I'd like to admit. But Every single morning when I wake up, the first thing I do is get in my hyperbaric chamber, which is the highest level chamber that you can have outside of a hospital. And the chamber, what it does is it pressurizes the tube, which takes you to about 40, 45 feet below sea level. And then you're breathing in straight oxygen. And the whole method of the madness is when you get to 12 PSI, which is about 30 feet below sea level. Well, not till you hit 12 PSI does the oxygen break the brain blood barrier. I have a friend of mine right now. uh, He's a wrestler, a young wrestler. When I say young, I mean mid thirties. 
He's been wrestling since he's a kid, though. And his name is Brian Danielson. And at the top of his career at 32 years old, on top of the world, they were like, too many concussions, you're done. And for two and a half years, he sat out. And he lived in a hyperbaric chamber every morning, every night, well, late, late before, before dinner. So every morning and every day before dinner, hit it for an hour and a half. Two and a half years later, he's back in the ring. Now, because the brain <clears throat> got all that oxygen and started healing and started losing the dark spots and he got to come back which I thought he was crazy <laughs> because the beating that, that you take, especially when you're his size, which he's not a big guy, but he's, he's really the best in the world right now. And, uh, you know, he's you know, wrestling with a company called AEW, which is on TNT and TBS where I used to wrestle. Um, but, uh, you know, the brain is the most important thing. And like, I'm going to be 66 on April 5th. And I'm in incredible shape considering what I put my body through. I'm still sore as hell a lot of the day, but then again, I just do my program and I feel better. Or I'll go into some kind of routine just to open up my hips or my back or whatever. But it's like being the tin man, you know, <laughs> sleep, rust never sleeps. And what I always think about is, okay, I don't care what kind of shape I'm in physically, if my brain isn't like on top of things, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be someone who, you know, is in that spot. And, you know, and I know some people work through dementia till they don't know who they are. I'm never going to be that guy. You know, as soon as I start forgetting who I am, <laughs> if that ever happens and I'm doing everything so that won't happen, you know, I just check out. Like, if I'm not who I am, what am I here for? So that's just how I look at life, you know? Yeah, the chamber the chamber is interesting. I've never been in one. I had a couple of teammates that had it. a guy named Ryan Klesko is a teammate of mine. And uh, when I played for the Braves, he, he started using the chamber and swore by it. And, uh, you know, I, I want to get into it as we get into your yoga program in a little bit. <laughs> I want to I'm telling you, I'm looking for an alternative. I've always been a weight room guy. I've always been a gym rat. Uh, but you know, I'm 52 now and, and I love to golf, but I'll tell you, it's tough for me to go back to back to, if I've got a three day tourney, I'm doing everything in between, you know, rounds that, that when we're young, we never used to think about that. We just wake up and first swings as, as hard as I can, as hard as I can hit it on the first tee. Now I actually have to prepare and I'm going to these cryo chambers in between, you know, in between and freezing my back and, uh, I'm thinking about the yoga thing. And now I'm, I was studying up a little bit and I know, you know, since 2012, you were doing that. And I want to get into it with you later, maybe even off, off camera here, but uh, it's, I'm looking well, for I'll some remedies you. and, and I'll some say, things, I, I you know, it's just, you yeah, it's just that wear and tear on your back. Like, like the stuff that, that I can do, you just, you wouldn't believe. And again, but I'm still get stiff as hell. I just know how to break it all up. You're right, and, right. You know, it's all about it's all about breaking up the scar tissue, and it's it's not something. It's it's kind of like brushing your teeth. You can't stop doing it, or you're gonna like. I am so thankful 
that I figured this out. Like what, what happened is I didn't even start wrestling until I was 35. My career didn't take off until I was 40. That was in 1996. 97 and 98, I was literally on top of the world. According to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which would be like the magazine, uh, I was rated number four in the world. So easily top 10, you know. Um, and going into, I just signed a multi million dollar three year deal and I ruptured my L4 and L5 so badly that three different spine specialists told me my career was over. Now, if I don't get back to wrestle in six months, according to my contract, it's gone. You know, like I don't get anything. And the money wasn't the biggest motivating factor. The biggest motivating factor is I finally got to the top of the world. You know, um, I've, there's no way that I'm going to believe what they, in the beginning I did, cause I took it down. And then I finally, I, I always believe that, you know, everybody goes down. You know, The Rock, Trump, Obama, Oprah, Tom Brady. I mean, every you're an athlete, you know, everybody goes down. But the people who are the most successful are the people who don't stay there. They don't wallow in their sour. They're like, okay, that sucked. How do I fix it? And I'm the guy who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga, Brett. And no one, I let you in the beginning because you don't know me yet, but you know, if you know me, like you don't call my stuff yoga because it's not, it's yoga. If it's yoga, it's yoga for people who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga. Like <laughs> really do that. 68% of the people who get my app are men and they're men in their thirties, 40s, 50s, 60s, and a lot. There, there's a number of guys in their 70s. And I've got a guy who's 87 years old. If you saw him on the mat with me, you'd think he was about 69. You would never believe that he is 87. But he's been working with me since he was 68. So there's the difference. And he's got 20 years in. So... When I get, you know, when I get told that, okay, you're done by three different spine specialists, I'm like, okay. My wife at the time's like, listen, you need to try yoga. In the beginning, I was like, F that, I'm not doing it, you know, but, <clears throat> you know, flexibility is youth, not just in the body, but in the mind. So I had to come flexible to the idea. And she started popping in these VHS, VHS tapes back then. And I'm like, no. No, no. And then I finally came across a guy that was from Detroit. And he was told by his father, because he was such a hellion, that uh, if you don't start doing yoga, I'm kicking you out of the house. You're 16. I'm kicking you out of the house. So he started. His name's Brian Kesson. He today is a good buddy of mine. But <clears throat> it still was yoga, but it was probably the coolest form I had found. And as soon as I started doing it, I realized they didn't have any modifications of what to do. So here I am, I'm broken. I got to figure those modifications out. And within the first three weeks, I started to feel a significant difference, never knowing that this is really my calling, overacting, over wrestling, over everything. 
And if you if you've seen any of my transformations of people, they're mind boggling because these are people you would never think could come back from where they were. But at the same time, you would never think they would do anything that's even involved with yoga. So for myself, in the first three weeks, it started to really help me. So one night, I'm still doing rehab. And as an athlete, you know about rehab. I've rehabbed both shoulder surgeries, both knee surgeries by this time, because it was my, I've had four knee surgeries. And uh, I learned a lot about rehab. And I learned a lot about breaking up scar tissue and creating mobility and alleviating pain. So what I did was I started mixing the yoga positions with the rehabilitation techniques. Went, wow, this, this stuff works. And then I threw in old school calisthenics, push-ups, squats, crunches, but I had to do them with a slow burn movement. Now, if you grab dumbbells and you're a meathead like me, all right, so we both came up that way. If you grab dumbbells and let's say you're doing, normally you roll with 50, 55, 60 pound dumbbells. Okay, well now let's go down. I want you to do three second reps where you pull up three, two, one, and hold three, two, one, and then come down three, two, one. Your weight just went from 60s, probably to around 35, maybe 40. Go to a five-second rep, you're down to 30s. Now, here's what I learned, because I started doing movements like lifting without any weight. And what I figured out was every time you flex or engage a muscle, standing still or running, Every time you flex or engage your muscle, your heart has to beat faster to get the blood to the muscle. Like if you worked out with me, we'd never leave the mat and I could get your heart rate up to 130, 140, 150. Like you would never believe it. So what I created through what I call dynamic resistance is a kick-ass cardiovascular workout that will dramatically increase your flexibility and strengthen your core at a whole different level with minimal, really no joint impact. In less than three months, which is what I call DDPY today, or DDP yoga, but D I mainly call it DDPY. Why? Because I want people to stop calling it just effing yoga. <laughs> because <laughs> when you do it, have you ever done yoga, Brett? I've, you know, I've done like a little beginner session and they had me in those rooms and, and, you know, at first I walk in, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Brett Boone. Of course, I'm uh, superior <laughs> to you guys in this room. Of course, I'm going to kick your ass. I'll tell you what. I had some women in that room making me look like a little boy. I, and I came no, out of there going, that was harder than I thought. You know what, what? And I remember asking the instructor, I said, what level is this? Well, this is this is pretty higher level. How many times have you done this before? I said, this is my first time. He goes, yeah, you might want to start at a little bit of a lower level. But it was mm. it was fascinating. I mean, it's different. It, it, it's different that I guess, you know, we grow up with that. Oh, yoga. Yeah. A little girly sure. thing. It, it, it was no, different right. than that. I could see that, you know, I came out of there going, I could see the benefits, but something in my mind said, no, you know, I'm a weightlifter. I go to the gym and I, I do this and I do that, but I'm, I'm dead serious. When I brought it up to you, 
I really have been going through this. You know, as athletes, we think we're invincible. We'll never get old. I, I never thought I swung so mm-hmm. hard for so many years. And then on the golf course, uh, you know, my tee balls, I, I swing hard. And all those reps, and I remember this is about four years ago. I'm on the tee and I, 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 I hit a tee ball. And the guy I was playing with looked at me and goes, good God, it makes me hurt to watch you swing. And I kind of <laughs> laughed. I said, that's a, I said, I said, that's a lot of swings in this back. And I said, I have no idea how my back is still intact. And it seemed like two weeks later, I, I started to get a backache and I didn't, I was like, no, no, you know, this is no big deal. It's something that'll go away. And it's kind of been with me for the last four years and it crops up. I have good days. I have bad days. You know, I, I've, I've kind of, sure. I've altered my gym routine. I, I, I've tried different things. I, I stretch a little bit more because when I was playing DDP, I never, ever stretched ever i i was from that school of the rest the rest of you the rest of you stretch all the time and you pull hamstrings i've never pulled a muscle and i'm not going to stretch and that was my thinking you know i'm 25 years old what do i know i just know i haven't got injured and i don't need to stretch now i'm 52 and it's like no for quality of life i, I want to feel as good you get to a point and, and i'm sure you've been you know to this point and and what you've done you kind of just get used to it after a while. It's no, this is normal to have a, a four or five pain just walking around life. And then some days it's a six and you're, you're sitting there going, this isn't any fun. <laughs> and, and that's what I've done recently. I'm thinking, okay, I got this cryogenics going. I've altered my weight program. But really when I was getting ready for this podcast, I was looking at it. I'm like, there might be something into it. I'm going to ask him and not only on the show, but maybe off the show, you know, Kind of guide me through this. I'll get the app. We'll do this and do that. I'm willing to try at this point. It's like if that can improve your quality of life, just to be able to look forward to a three-day golf tournament that I have. You know, if I got to fly to Florida and play three game, three three rounds in a row thinking, I don't have to worry about getting through the three rounds because I feel better. Well, what will happen? And if you really put the work in, which you understand how to do, um, if you really put the work in, bro, It'll change your life. It won't just change your golf game, which it will It will definitely put, you know, yards. I've had friends of mine gain 40 yards on their long ball, and they're long ball hitters. You know, so, like, I'm not a golfer, but I do understand the uh, what you what you need the 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 body mechanics it takes to pull that ball through, and when you've got pain, you just knocked serious numbers off your game. You know, you're just like you're gonna. It's gonna. It's just gonna be hard to do. And if you get through the first one, those next two you forget about. And That's right. As you get older, like so many golfers, they're done by the time they hit their mid to late fifties because their bodies can't do it anymore. But if they do my program, I guarantee you, it makes them better. Now, will they be able to hit like when they were kids? Of course not. But the bottom line is getting older. Like I'm writing a book right now called The Secrets of Youth. And it's everything. I've got a cryogenic system in my garage. I've got a hyperbaric chamber, infrared sauna, steam room, hot tub. I mean, this is like a spa at my place. And I bring different athletes in and I work with them. 
you know, to help them. I mean, any guy breaks anything, breaks their neck, breaks their back, tears their shoulder from pretty much any of the big leagues from my business. They all come here and spend a couple of days with me to get on the program because if they would have been doing it ahead of time, they probably may not have gotten injured. Now, I wouldn't say it completely eliminates injury, but easily cuts it by 20 to 50%. Because sometimes you're just going to have that injury that's a freak thing, and, and it's going to happen. But it, it's all how you strengthen your core. Like, I haven't lifted weights in 14 years. And if you've seen a picture of my body, you'd be like, get the hell out of here. Like, no, don't lift them. Because I can't tell you how many times I left the gym and I went, oh, Damn, what did I do to my shoulder? Oh, my back. What did I, what did I do to my, oh, God, my hip. What the hell did I, I mean, I've never yeah. gotten off that mat. I've never, ever, ever gotten off the mat, Brett, and went, boy, I wish I didn't do that. Yeah, and you, you, it cracks me up. You say, you know, and the guys come to me, you know, guys that break their neck. <laughs> we started with the neck. I thought you were going to say, you know, a guy that, that pulls his quad or, or he te- no. tears a labrum. No, the, you know, the Brett, the guys that break their neck, break their back in half. They come to me and I fix them up out at, at a deep DDP ranch. Yeah, and, and really like Tommaso Ciampa broke his neck. If you saw the the workmanship, these guys are the best doctors on the world who are working on these guys. Uh, there's I got two guys. The last two guys who came through here broke their neck, and both of them are back wrestling at the highest level right now. Like I think they're crazy because I know you can only wear down your body so much. So again, knowing what I know now, it's going to be 66. I'm way smarter. You know, than the, but the crazy shit I did between 35 and 49 was really crazy shit. <laughs> uh, it was, it was such a fun ride though. Cause I could do it. You know what I mean? When you can do it, you're going to go. Now, if I could have started this, if there's, like I wouldn't change hardly anything has happened in my life because everything has made me better at what I do, period. Um, but if there's one thing I would change, I would have started doing what I do right now as a child. I think there's two things I would do. I would do that, and I would have taken Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a kid because that's the bully eliminator. I think every kid should take jiu-jitsu. Because they just, they learn so much. They learn respect. Uh, they learn uh, how to move back from an altercation and stop that individual. Uh, it's, it's great for building confidence in a young man or a young woman. Um, so that's something, those two things are all I would do. Some form of yoga, if DDP yoga wasn't developed. But the reason what makes mine so different like i'm explaining to you i could have you in a lunge position and then i'm going to have you reach out and grab the rack just like you'd be working your back and then i'm going to have you grab the rack and pull it with the intensity that you might pull 140 pounds 
and you pull it back. Three, two, one. Now have you turn your hands over, and I want you to do close grip bench. And I want you to push three, two, one as you come out of that run. So you're in the lunge, you lower as you're pulling back, and you come up as you're pushing forward. Now, take that, what I did for years, over a decade, with probably a decade and a half, um, with no anything. Well, are you familiar with BFR, blood flow restriction cups? Are you familiar with that? I am not. This is the game changer of game changers. They are used for rehabilitation. It was developed by, uh, the technique was developed by a Japanese doctor, and it's all about rehab. And then I came across them, and I was like, oh, my God. This is something that directly works with my program. And I've literally been, I've been using other people's cups as I'm developing my own. But when I tell you how much stronger that you can become without lifting any weight, and I mean lifting air, you would never believe it until I put one on you and put them on both your arms, maybe both your legs. And now we're going to work out. And you think what you did with those women was hard? Now, I'm not talking about doing something hard. I'm talking about something that can be done at your level. Because I used to kick everyone's ass in my program because they, oh, it's yoga. No, it's not. (laughs) It's why. I'll give you the best example. I'll give you the best example. Tito Ortiz, a buddy of mine. And I was in a gentleman's club in Vegas. And that's a like shocker. 2000. Yeah. <laughs> and he came over to me and introduced himself. Like, I know who you are, Dio. And he sat down. And this is like, I want to say 99. I'm the champ at the time. And because what had happened in 98, they tell me my career's over. Three months of doing what I call DDP yoga or DDPY. Uh, in less than three months, it was like three months or two months and three weeks. I'm back in the ring at 42. They said my career is over 43. I'm the world champ, which is like our Oscar. So, uh, Tito says to me, he's like, you know, I've been really thinking about leaving UFC and going over, you know, to work, you know, to, to do what you do. And I'm like, don't even think about it, bro. We had our high. And it's very cyclical, this business. You are about to do something really special if you can stay healthy and keep doing what you're doing. And the only reason I brought this up because I'm reading this article. This is like, I want to say 2004. And this is an article in Sports Illustrated. And they were saying, what are some of the most defining moments of your career? And he said, well, I, was, I met DDP and the Peppermint Rhino in Vegas. And I was really thinking about making a move to go into professional wrestling. And he talked me out of it. And it really behooved me to do what he said. And I called him up. And I said, Tito, I said, man, I just read the article that you uh, talked about and saying that I was a defining moment in your life. He goes, well, hey, man, it's true. He goes, you know, I, you know me, man. I may not always say the right thing, but I speak the truth. 
I, I speak my truth. So I said, listen, I heard you just got back surgery. I said, you need to do my program. He goes, come on down. So I was living in LA at the time. I drove down to, uh, I think he lived in Long Beach. And we got there. And I said to him, this is back when I would crush you. I don't care who you were. You know, and I, and I said to him, I said, you're, you're coming off the injury. What do you, you want me to start you like a beginner, intermediate? Where do you want? He goes, bring it. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah. And he, I probably brought it on a one to 10, maybe a seven, 7.5, maybe eight. And we got done. We finished. And he never called me back again. And then four years late, maybe it's five or six years later, I'm in Memphis at a Bellator fight. And he's on the card. And I'm getting the elevator, and there he is. He's like, DP! I go, man. I go, why didn't you call me back? <laughs> he, said, man. he said, man, your shit's too hard, bro. It's too hard. I go, I asked you. I asked you if you want me to bring it on. Yo, yeah, it's too hard. I go, no, it's not. I've got people who are crippled doing this. And what I learned right before he even said this to me is I bring it where you're comfortable. Like, well, maybe a little uncomfortable. You realize, wow, I got a long way to go. But I don't beat anybody up anymore. Like, my workouts start off in bed. Like, you can't get out of bed. I got three workouts for you to help you get out of that bed and sit in a chair and do them there and then stand up and use the chair for balance to help you get up and down to build core strength. Then eventually you go to beginner and then you can go all the way to psycho extreme stuff. So you feel me when I say it doesn't matter where you are. I can meet you, DDPY meets you where you are. And what's great about when it's DVDs or an app, like when the app is huge, because there's motivational Mondays, every Tuesday there's a new workout, Wednesday's a new cooking show. It's the only place you will find healthy cooking shows is on my app. Healthy, that tastes great. And then Friday is this fabulous Friday thing I do where I go on this I got this site where it was just a couple instructors that on Facebook and it was about five, 10, 20 guys. And then some women came on and then before you know it, regular people came on and then it was a thousand people. Now there's 70,000 people on this page that do, and that's about how many people are on my app and that do the program. And it's, you, you would never believe Anybody who's listening, don't listen to a word I say about my stuff. Just go to that Facebook page, DDP Yoga, one word. It's a member site. You will never believe the pictures that people will share of themselves when they're looking their absolute worst because it's all about knowing where you started to get you to where you are. And along the way, like on my app, it's set up, take the first picture, then 30 days. The first picture stays there, then put up 60 days. First picture stays there, now put 90, you know, 180, a year, two years. Like, this is the most unbelievable program for getting people to build confidence in themselves. 
And if you ever go on that page and you read what's on there, like it's really hard to get people to chat your name, whether it's Hogan or Stone Cold or DDP. It's really hard. You can't make them do it. They have to be moved to do it. They have to be brought in by the character to believe in that that character, because they know it's a work. They know it's predetermined. They know it's a show, but they're, they're invested in the character. It's the same thing on the internet. Like you can't get tens of thousands of people to write about your stuff and say how great it is in paragraphs, unless it's real. And they're moved to tell others. Like every single day on my app, I know where the sales come from, who triggered them. Every single day, the number one category, friends and family, buy a lot. And that means it works. Word of mouth. Yeah, by word of mouth, friends and family. Well, this is this is some pretty awesome stuff. It really is. You got me motivated a little bit, and I, I am going to check that out. I am going to check that out because I'm serious. I'm at that age where it's like, well, no, I can get through everything. I can still play. I can still do this, do that. But I want to do it feeling good. And and you know, there, there's got to be a remedy. There's got to be stuff. There, there, you've you've helped a lot of people, you know, in the research I've done. And, and there's got to be something to it. And why not try something? You know, I, I found that uh, when we're young, we're stubborn and, and we don't try a lot of things. And, and as life goes on and, and we try things, you know, it's like your kids when they're growing up. Well, try the broccoli. I don't care if you don't like it. You got to try it. Then tell me you don't like it. All right. You don't like it. All right. We're fine. You got to try it. You can't just sit there and say you hate it, but you never try it. <laughs> so, no, very Go cool ahead. stuff. All right. So it's part of part. I got I to gotta come in on what you just said there. It's really funny because we're about to start filming this, show, uh, filming this show, right? And one of the things, like my daughter can take any of your like old school family recipes that you just love and make them way healthier and taste as good or better. She just knows how to do all that, right? So... She's like the, when I bring these people in, they're going to be living at one of my, did you get a chance to see the resurrection of Jake the Snake? Did you ever see that? I, I, I know about it because I was getting ready for this, okay. for this show and, and I did some research on it. I know you helped him a lot and he was yeah, in bad right. shape and all of a sudden he's back on top again after he, after yeah, he dude, hung out with yeah. you. Dude, he, he spent about a year and a half with me. But, you know, when you're doing, you're addicted for over 25 years to booze, pills, coke, and crack, you know, that's a big, that's a big deal. He'd been to six rehabs and none of them worked. But when he went in and he worked with me, and he, without Jake, I don't have the career I have. Um, so he, he took me under his wing and was a brother to me and really helped me because he saw my work ethic. And anybody who's never seen the resurrection of Jake the Snake, if you really want to see what I'm about and Jake, um, just go to Amazon Prime. You know, uh, Amazon Prime has the resurrection of Jake the Snake 
And it has uh, another uh, documentary that we did, my company did it all. Um, it's called Relentless. And it goes from me blowing out my back to where we are today. Both of them are incredibly inspirational. But at that same house, uh, I called it the accountability crib. Since then, I, I would rent it out. I bought another place. And I never let go of the house because I love the house. And now I've had the you know, the people who are renting that move out. And we're moving these five people in to the accountability crib. And when you said, try the broccoli, all right, uh, like those first two days when these people get there, it's going to be like boiled chicken, you know, boiled uh, asparagus. It's going to be like, like clean eating, but horrible. Like who wants to eat this garbage? But what we're showing them is like, I know that's what you thought this was going to be. Now let's show you, like I, I one of the guys who works with me, his name's Dylan. He would never eat a vegetable, but when he started trying the Brussels sprouts that my daughter cooked, he's like, oh my God, I'm eating these things like they're Skittles. When something's cooked properly, especially real organic vegetables, it can taste amazing, but you've got to, lose like you got to like close your eyes open your mouth put it in your mouth and eat it and then you're going to go oh my god what is this broccoli you kidding me i've never had broccoli like this before and that's what our show is going to be around we're going to we're going to educate people first of all what real food is because most people eat garbage even the people who think they're eating really good are eating garbage because our food in this country Sucks. But have you ever been to Have you ever been to Italy? I haven't. Have you ever been like when I when people would say, "Oh my God, where do you try the food?" I'm thinking, how good can it be? I've eaten at the best restaurants in this country. How good can it be? How good can it be? A lot better because they've got real food over there. And most of the garbage that they buy here is genetically modified garbage. And all I know is when I take people and I get, and this is somewhere you're going to be at some point because of the abuse you put on your body, you're going to go, okay, I'm doing this DDPY, but oh God, but my joints, they still, they still aggravate me. And, and all I'm going to tell you is one thing, stop eating gluten. Because gluten, and everybody thought it was like a comic joke in the beginning. I've been gluten-free for 14 years. Choice. Not because I have to. Because I feel ridiculously better. Because it all comes down to the punishment we put on our body against the inflammation that we put in our body. Like gluten, wheat, super super because the wheat's not real wheat it's genetically formulated in a, in a in a science lab and then it goes out there and they grow it we used to be seven you know, six seven feet tall now it's 18 inches but it yields three times the mass but it's not real like corn like the corn that you're eating 
that same kernel of corn is registered with the EPA as a pesticide because to keep the corn from getting contaminated, they engineered the genetically engineered corn and put a pesticide. So when the bug just bites the, um, the corn, its stomach explodes. We don't have any stomach issues in this country. Thank God we don't have those. Oh, because there's a million different pills you can take. That's right. Which doesn't, which doesn't solve anything but wear you out as you start to get into your 60s, 70s. Man, look at people in their 80s. They don't look good, man. I'm going to look good. And I I'm going to be able to do a lot of shit. <laughs> This is this is good stuff. I love it because I I love the 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 clean eating and the yeah. It's it's all. I've always been into it. You go to Coastal Carolina uh, at a high school and you go there briefly, and that's I'm guessing that's around seventy two, seventy three, seventy four. Between Coastal yeah, Carolina, seventy four. Between Coastal Carolina, and by the time you become a wrestling manager in nineteen eighty eight, what'd you do? I know you were you were involved in the bar business. You ran a nightclub. What'd you do yeah. for those, you know, fourteen years before you got into the profession years. that you're gonna, you know, be known for and be a Hall of Famer? You know, the uh, I actually tried wrestling. Here, here's how it worked. I tried wrestling. I was in the bar business since I was seventeen. So, you know, because I was six foot four, you know, so I could, you know, and the drinking age was eighteen. So they just put me out there when they, when I was seventeen. Yeah, I was in high school, and I was like, oh, my God, because I snuck in the bars when I was 17. I got in, and uh, all of a sudden, I'm wearing this Jimmy Burns Seagarden shirt, and I realized these are girls who wouldn't talk to me on a bet, but now that I got this shirt on, like, they all like, wow, okay, so I'm like, this is good, you know, and then I look at the manager over there who really is – not a good looking guy. He's got women all over him. And I'm like, I want that job, you know? And cause as young men, you know, then as older men, women, <laughs> it's part of what makes us who we are. And, uh, I, I'm running, not running, I'm bouncer, bartender. I've done everything you can do in the bar business and I'm 23. And now I'm trying to wrestle. I have three matches and I hurt my knee the same need to get hit by the car. And the doctor told me, stay out for a month and then you can come back. And at that point, when I was down, I got a call from a buddy of my, my mom's and he said, I got this little rock and roll joint. You want to manage it? I'm 23. I'm like, hell yeah. And that was in 1979 when I was, when I was trying to wrestle and um the booze the broads and the party bro you know they just pulled me you know off to the side and and then wrestling with wrestlemania started and i was so mad at myself for not paying my dues that i was like i wouldn't even watch wrestling and by 1986 really 1985, I was running a huge club down in Fort Myers, Florida. And one night I was flicking the channels in 86 and I saw this guy come out to the ring with a 
with a bag over his shoulder. And I'd never seen this guy before. And he had so much swag and long hair and a Fu Manchu. And he just looked like a badass. And, uh, and um, I'm watching him in the ring. I'm like, man, his stuff looks real. Like, that's crazy. Like, I know it's not, but God, it looks real. And I can't see through it. And then he caught a cut and started talking in a promo. And his name is Jake the Snake Roberts. And I'm like, man, this guy's unbelievable. So I became a fan again. And I got this big club in Fort Myers, Florida. And one night I come into the club, you know, Saturday night, and the place is jammed. I probably got 1,200 people in there. We got seven bars. You know, it's the hottest spot between Sarasota and Cuba. And uh, we're, um, we're slammed. And I come through the club. I go to the back. I go into my office. I grab my keys. And there's a monitor at the front door and the back door there. And I see this guy walk in, and he's huge. And I look over at the monitor. I'm like, no way. And I run around the outside of the club because it's too packed in the club. I run in the front door and I go, Judy, did a guy named Jake, did a guy look like Jake the Snake Roberts just walk in here? She goes, yeah, everybody thinks it's him. So I go running in there like the biggest mark ever. And when I see him, I slow down because can't be old fanboy over Jake the Snake. And uh, eventually I move my way towards him and I walk over and I go, hey, man. You, Jake Snake Roberts, who wants to know? I said, the guy who runs this place. I said, the guy who runs this place, he goes, yes, what can I do for you? I said, what are we drinking? And we got so shit-faced that night. <laughs> and I, I just, he knew that he'd never going to pay for a drink there. And if you were Tampa and Miami, that's 300 miles. Fort Myers is right in the middle. I've got pictures on my desk here of me pulling the million dollar man's head back by his hair and pouring a, a free pour tequila, like quadruple shot into his mouth. And we're just going back and forth doing that crazy shit. And so many of the wrestlers started coming to my club and man, it just lit a fire under me to, to try to get back into the business, not as a wrestler, because I was too old at 31, I thought. And, uh, you know, that's what really lit, lit it under me. And, and, you know, Jake meeting him in the club. And then later when I would become a wrestler at 35, Jake had seen me on TV and he showed up in WCW and the place the guys trained down there was a place called the power plant. And Jake just showed up there. And he saw me in the ring and he was like, and he knew me as Paige because I hadn't changed my name yet because, you know, there was no Dallas, there was no Diamond Dallas Page yet. And uh, he's like, Paige? And I turn around, I go, Jake, I go, what the hell are you doing here? He goes, man, I thought that was you. Because when you don't, when you know someone from one world, like say being in a nightclub, you don't expect to see him on TV. You know, because right. he wasn't in wrestling when you met him. So, I mean, it's so hard to get in, and it's so hard. Today, it's probably easier than ever, and it's still impossible. But it's so hard to get in when I got in. And for me to have done what I was able to do 
is like unheard of. Like no one has anything like my story, you know? 88, you start bad company. Uh, you're managing them. 1990. You try, you tried your hand at, at being an announcer for the WWF. How, how were you at that? Um, I wasn't what they wanted <laughs> later when I would end up in the WWF and was leaving. Cause I almost broke my neck and I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I'm checking out for a while. And, uh, they were like, no, no, no. You're the Jesse Ventura of the nineties or two thousands. Like, you know, they loved me then, you know, I'd also, it was 12 years later too. You know, uh, I learned a lot and knew the lingo and how to get people excited about something, you know, especially when it comes to wrestling, because I was excited about it. You know, I always tell salesmen, like, if you're not excited about this, why would I buy anything you have to say? You know, and a lot of people, they, they just think you're going to go through the motions. You ain't going to sell anything. You know, you got to be passionate about something. And I was, and they wanted me to stay, but I was like, done. I'm like, yeah. when I tried out, I gave my worst performance and it was still better than a bunch of other guys who wanted to do it. And I didn't want to do it. Not the first, the first time I wanted to do it. I didn't know enough. You know, I didn't, I wasn't good enough that, but when I tried out that time I was, and I had to say no. And when you say no to the WWE, Oh, wow. They didn't call me for five years after that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know that. Oh, he's not going to. Uh, we want him and he's going to say no. Next. Boom. Right. Uh, <laughs> I know that, you know, Jake the Snake, and he's a big part of your life. But there's some other guys, too, that are a big part. I want to hear. Tell me about Dusty Rhodes. Oh, man. He was unbelievable. I'm looking at a picture of me and him right now. Six or seven beers on the bar. I always put lemon in my beer. We're both smoking cigars. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was, he, he was like my big brother. Uh, he was like my dad sometimes. Uh, I'll tell you a great story. Um, Cause I worked with Dusty in Florida, Florida championship wrestling. Cause when he was trying to pop that territory, it never happened. And then he went to the WWE and then he went back to WCW. And that's what he brought me in there. But, over the period we became, you know, it was really strong relationship. I tell people all the time, it's not about who you know, or who knows you. It's about who's willing to say they know you, like who's willing to pick up the phone and make a call for you. And Dusty, that the reason when you said to me, when you tried out the WWF the first time, Dusty is the guy who made the call. Um, so he, you know, he'd been, you know, a big, supporter of mine, a champion of mine, because he knew who I was and he knew how hard I worked. And, you know, he knew that I was loyal as hell to him. And, um, I called him up in 1994, right? I want to say it was November. And I was just pitching up a storm and I could vent to Dusty and he'd let it go because all the boys vent, you know, <laughs> But this one night, you know, I was like, listen, Dusty, 
you know, I know the booking committee, you know, the guys who do the writing, you know, you know, I know the booking committee, they're, they, um, they're never going to give me this opportunity, man. Uh, but I know I'm never going to be you or Rick or Hulk. I know I'm never going to be the world champion, but these sons of bitches, they might done it enough. What did you just say? And I'm like, oh, well, now I feel kind of stupid. You know, he never yelled at me before. He's like, you know, uh, well, Dusty, I know I'm never going to be you or Rick. He said, no, D, what did you say after that? I said, well, I know I'm never going to be the world champion. He said, what the hell are you doing it for? Dallas, as hard as you work, as, as much tribe as you have, D, if you don't believe it, D, if you don't believe you're going to be the world champion, you might as well get the hell out of the business right now. <laughs> and Brent, I felt like he reached through the phone and just bitch slapped me, you know. And uh, he kept talking. Now, I can't tell you a thing he said after that, but I can tell you exactly what I did. What I did was grab the ledger pad that was next to my phone, and on the pad, I wrote, I will be the world champion in five years or less. And it was four years four months and 14 days later. Pay-per-views called Spring Stampede. And two years earlier, I had beaten Randy Savage because Randy, you know, who didn't lose to anyone unless he chose to. Randy wanted to, he knew I was white hot at the time. And he wanted to put me over and elevate me to the next level, and he did. So two years later, Randy's his special guest referee. And the crazy part is, I tell that story occasionally on my cameos that I do. When people are looking for, you know, I just, you know, I'm, you know they're looking for some kind of inspiration. They're looking for uh, some way for me to understand or for them to under understand they got to believe in themselves. And um, I can remember doing this video for on Cameo one night and I'm telling that story. And as I'm saying it, I just stop because what happened was oh, six days after my 43rd birthday at Spring Stampede, I was in a four-way dance, which means four opponents all going for one world title. Four years, four months, and 14 days later, after I'd said that, I'm never going to be you. I'm never going to be Rick. I'm never going to be Hulk. I'm never going to be the world champion. On that night, I killed that. And by writing it, and I'd said earlier in the show, just don't think it, ink it, write it down, burn it into your brain. I, I stepped in the ring that night with Rick and Hulk. And Dusty was retired. But the Stinger, he's the franchise of the company. He's the number one guy. So I told Dusty four years, four months, and 14 days earlier I know I'm never going to be you, Rick or Hulk, yet four years, four months, and 14 days later, I step in the ring with Rick and Hulk and Sting. 
and I walk out the world champion. It's like I manifested that into a reality and I didn't really realize it until I was telling that person in the cameo and I shared that with them. And I thought that was just fascinating. But what Dusty got me to do was really understand when I inducted Jake into the Hall of Fame, about 20 months after he moved into my house to get clean and sober, I had an unbelievable induction speech written for him. And I always plan what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do, but I always leave preparation with improvisation. And at some point in that speech, I said, never underestimate the power someone gives you by believing in you. And then I went on to say, more importantly, never underestimate the power you give yourself by believing in you. And on that phone call with Dusty, that's what that was all about. You know? How cool is that though? He says it to you. I mean, at that, at that point in your life, you think, no, you're just trying to make a living here. And you're thinking, I'm never going to be elevated to your level. You write it down. It comes to fruition. Imagine what Dusty's thinking when he sees you with that belt that night. He probably just has a wry smile. Now, I don't know. I have a feeling you no, might tell right. me. But how proud was he? I mean, it had to be similar to when when you're giving Jake the snake and you're giving that speech. You know what that man went through. You know, and I know you have a long history with him in particular, but how proud you had to be of him to get through the things and to overcome the things he overcame. I could imagine Dusty just... Smiling like I told him he could do it, and I'm a part, but more more proud because you said in your business, it's the Oscar. You don't just become yeah. world champion because you're this or that. It's a combination. This is what I'm learning. It's not all. It's the, it's the the charisma that you have. It's the it's the show you put on. It's the, it's people loving you. It, it's a combo, and I, I think you summed it up perfect. You said that's our Oscar. And, and I think right. that was a pretty cool, cool way of putting it. But did, did what did Dusty have to say to you after he saw you raising that belt after that phone call four years earlier? Uh, I was I just got a cell phone. And the next day, my wife, Kimberly, and I, we were driving from Tacoma to Spokane. And I, I heard the phone ring, so I picked it up. And when I open the phone up, I hear, so, D, have it feel. I just sort of laughed it. I go, Dusty, it feels real. It feels real, bro. He goes, that's because it is. Quick. And he hung up on me. <laughs> no, that, that, that's cool, though. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's awesome. like an iconic awesome. story. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, this is see. This fascinates me. I mean, this is like the life I never had, and it's like it's a completely different thing. But but it's really it's intriguing. All the things you guys do. I want to hear about. Uh, not only did you did you start wrestling at that high level at a at a later age? I mean, you said when you were younger, you said I'm 31. I'm never going to wrestle. I couldn't possibly do that. Well, you end up starting your career in your mid 30s. Um, 
Tell me about the power plant, WCW power plant, and how they prepare you to, to get on that big stage. Oh, God, I got I to be honest with you, man. Friggin' when, when you're first hitting the mat, like it's a wrestling mat on two by 10, not two by, I guess they're three, three by, maybe it's two by tens. It's your two by two by eights or whatever. It's, it's big plank wood. And then they put a mat over it and then they put a canvas over it. So it moves, but it don't move that much. And there's nothing natural about falling flat on your back. Nothing. <laughs> so you get injured just trying to figure out. And I can't tell you how many times my body in this cold, cold warehouse. And I can't tell you how many times my body hit that mat. And I said to myself, man, this fake shit hurts like hell. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And and you've been here, especially with your career, when you started to get on and you started really feeling it. Now here I'm starting at 35 and a half. I'm thinking to myself, man, do I really want to keep doing this? But every time the answer come back, yes, man. Like, like I'm going to do it and I don't care. Like, nobody believes me. Like, nobody. Dusty was the first to believe in me as a personality, a character, like a manager, but I was also producing in the back. I was producing interviews. I had a keen eye for all that stuff. So, you know, I was, I would have had a job in the office probably forever, but that's not what I wanted. And again, Jake was the first mega star to believe in me. And that was like in 93. And then the next one was when I came back to WCW, I guess it was 92. Cause I came back to WCW in 93 and Dusty was at the power plant and he was never there. And this is a new power plant that was moved more uptown and was a little bit nicer. And when I got there, I was supposed to have a meeting with him the next day because I'd been let go for 11 months because I tore my rotator cuff and Bill Watts was going to let me go anyway, so I quit. And I said, you know, I'm not even going to let you fire me, Bill, <laughs> because I know that you're old school and I, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to do like a, a journeymanship. I'm going to do a, I'm going to go on the road and I'm going to work independently and I'm going to come back here. You're going to want me to come back. And that's was perfect because Jake was ready to take, you know, was already taking me under his wing when he was in WCW, but now it was with the road and he was living with me. And, um, so now I come back, I was supposed to meet with Dusty the next day. And he said, Hey, jump in the ring, um, with this kid. I want to see what he's got. I was like, sure. So I went in there for like 20 minutes. He goes, okay, D that's good. You know, I'm out of here. I gave him a hug and he left. And I just went from ring to ring to ring. Like I was the first guy there. I was the last to leave. I set the precedent at the power plant. And the next day I came in to see Dusty. Now I thought he just left. And 
I didn't know it, but he went back in the office and was watching everything on the cameras. So I come in to meet with them and we talk about, you know, just life and families and, you know, what I've been doing. And I told him my idea for how I wanted to come back. And after I told him the idea, he said, you know, D, I know you always think yourself is this top performer in our business. And I got to be real with you, D. I've never seen it. I'm like, oh, damn. And he goes, until yesterday. He said, I don't know how you got that much better over this last year. He said, but if you keep doing what you're doing, you just might pull this shit off. So he was the next to believe in me as a wrestler. And the next was Hulk Hogan. And he had just come into territory. And this was like 95, I think. And uh, maybe 94, I can't remember. But uh, he came in and I was on this tour in Germany. I'm the first match. They called it the curtain jerker. You know, I'm the first match everywhere. And one night I come out of the ring. I think we were in Berlin at the time. And he grabbed me by the arm and he pulled me over. And I've never said more than five words to Hulk Hogan before this. And he says, um, so tell me how you're doing it. <laughs> I'm like, doing it? I go, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Hulk, I said, I do something wrong. He goes, no. He goes, I don't ever see you on TV, but once in a while, because they weren't using me. He said, uh, he said, I don't ever see you on TV, but when I do, I say you do something different and you, you pop up and you get the people involved. He said, this is what they're doing with you, right? They're putting you on the road like this so you can learn your craft. I said, Hulk, the only reason I'm on this show here in Germany is because I got a smoking hot wife that walks me to the ring. And my last name is really Falkenberg. And the Germans love their crowds. He goes, well, how the hell are you doing it then? How are you getting so much better? And I said, well, I said, I go down to the power plant and I train the guys down there. He goes, what's the power plant? I go, well, it's just a training place, man. And, you know, they're not using me. So I know if I don't keep wrestling, I'm screwed, man. So I figured out that the more I train these guys, the more I learn. The more I learn, the better I guess I'm getting. So uh, obviously it's working. He goes, oh, whatever you're doing, you need to keep doing it. He said, and I don't, you know, it's not this year or next year or the year after. He said, but somewhere down the line, you and I, I honestly believe we could draw huge money together. And he walks away. And I think, is he ribbing me? Did he just say he watched my matches? And then that night, I'm getting ready to leave because we got a bus. We're going to drive eight hours to the next town, Germany. And uh, I hear Diamond. And I come walking. I call you. Yeah, come here. I walk in, and Eric Bischoff, who runs the company, is there. He's my buddy. But he refuses to do the nepotism thing. He, he protects me from getting screwed, but he ain't going to give me no push because he doesn't have the control at that time. And Hulk tells him, he's like, 
you need to do something with him. Because I'm watching him. I think down the line, he could draw money with me. And I thought, oh my God, he's not rivet. And, um, you know, it gave me a whole nother level of confidence. It goes back to never underestimate the power someone gives you by believing in you. But they're only going to believe in you if you're working, outworking everyone, especially at that level. And four years later, I don't have the exact days and months and days and everything because I never wrote that one down, but I manifested it every single day. Carl Malone was a friend of mine and he was a huge fan and we became buddies. And in 1998, he had just swept LA and beat them four straight. And I called him up and I said, Hey man, I know you want to do this wrestling thing. I just heard Dennis Rodman's coming in again. You got anything about against Dennis? It was not really. He said, a lot of people don't know this, but when I first, you know, when you're a rookie, you go to rookie camp, they put you with another rookie. I live with Dennis. He goes, I don't know who this Dennis is wearing the wedding dresses. He said, but the guy I know, he's always been a pretty solid cat. I said, what if it was Hulk and Rodman against me and you? He said, I might be interested in that. I said, let me go down and tell Bischoff. So I went down there and told Eric. He saw, he saw that last game where he manhandled Shaq and swept them four straight. And he's like, let's do it. We hopped on a plane and going out there. Now, Chicago hasn't made the finals yet. And right. This was in the last was- dance. This is the Lance Dance, man. Yeah. This is where right. Rod, this is where we shot the angle where Rodman came out and him and Hogan hit me with the chairs. So what happens is Rodman and Hogan, they win the series, right? So Rodman and Hogan are on the Tonight Show. And I called Bischoff up and I told him, I was like, listen, hey, Carl's going to be on the Tonight Show, win or lose. I go, we should try to shoot this angle on the show. So once Eric finds out that Rodman and Hogan are being on, he gets a hold of uh, the producer there. I can't remember his name. They sat down with Jay, and Jay ends up getting in the middle of me and Carl coming out from the wings and shooting the angle, not on a wrestling show, on the grand stage, on the Tonight Show. Like, that's where Dusty told me, D, when you walked across that stage with Malone, that's when I knew you arrived at a different level. Like, that was crazy, man. I never seen, like, it might as well be be the World Series. You know, (laughs) might as well be the Super Bowl. Because well, I think that at that time and at that time, I was, uh, 
I, I was playing for the Reds. And I wasn't into the – I told you, you know, as a young kid, yeah, yeah. I, I, loved, I loved watching Bob Backlund and Fuji and Saito and, and uh, you know, those guys back. George the Animal Steel. That's it. And I watched wrestling, and I kind of got away from wrestling. But I'm, a, I'm playing for the Reds in the mid to late 90s. And these guys are crazy, uh, Dallas. I mean, I'm coming in. Barry Larkin's on on uh, the NWO. He's got an NWO T-shirt. Pokey Reese, Dimitri Young. They got the WCW T-shirts, and they're they're like having matches in the clubhouse before we got to go play the <laughs> we got to go play the Dodgers. And I'm sitting there going, "What are these?" Bro, is I said, "What are they playing then?" Is Rob huh? Dibble playing then? Is no, this is this is, is after player? Dibble. Dibble Dibble had That's retired okay. at the time. But okay. I'm sitting there and and I don't know anything about it. I just know that half my team have lost their mind. And they got these different shirts on and they're coming in, they're doing the lingo, they're throwing up your uh, your high five. And I'm looking around like, who the fuck, who the, who the hell are these guys? What are they talking about? Next thing I know, guys like Goldberg are starting to show up at the at the locker room. And I'll tell you, the, the players only let the guys they want into the club. It's like going backstage at a Madonna concert. She don't want you back there. You ain't right. going. Same thing with a baseball right. clubhouse. And Goldberg's showing up. And I'm thinking, well, I've seen Goldberg before. And I'm like, I don't really, you know, I don't know anything about the wrestling. Seems like a good guy, but I want to see him hit. We give him a uni. He goes down and hits. He's going deep. Now, I'll tell you, if you want to impress a big league team or big league players, because they have guys that want to come down and want to hit all the time. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Are you done yet? So we can move on and get our work done. Goldberg's going deep at, at old Synergy Field. And I was impressive. Like, this wrestler's going deep. And uh, that's when I started to notice this is becoming big time crossover. And you mentioned it. You got Rodman in there. You got Malone. All of a sudden, you're going to Hollywood. You're bringing Jay Leno into the and and it's becoming like you said. Wrestling's been a, a, in a certain genre the whole time. All of a sudden, you're mainstream. You're World Series, like you were just saying. You're the Super Bowl now. You're you're the Tonight Show. You're not some sideshow. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And I didn't even know what was going on at the time. It's not till later that I realized that. Yeah, it was really crazy. It was mainstream. Like when you said, who's wrestling that? Like who would surprise There you go. You're saying it right there because we were the hottest show on cable television. And I don't mean one show. I mean, we had Nitro and we had um, Thunder. They had... Um, Raw, WWF, and they had SmackDown. So we were killing it for like 83 weeks we kicked their ass. Before that, we went back and forth, and after that, we went back and forth until they started kicking our ass. So what had happened was when we were white hot, we were number one on uh, Nitro, Sometimes number two with Thunder. If not, Raw was number two. Thunder was three. SmackDown was four. I'm talking about the top ten rated shows on cable. Four of them were wrestling. Like, that's how hot it was. Yeah, it it really was. Now, now, and I don't know if this is a good comparison. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to bring you over into the baseball world for a second. As baseball players, you know, we go to the minor leagues, and usually, if you, you get sure. a young kid out of high school, he starts in rookie ball, and eventually, your goal is, you know, to get to the 
to get to the big leagues and the big yeah. leagues, the ultimate, yeah. that's the, that's the main event, baby in the wrestling world. Is it a fair comparison? When you come out of that, of that, uh, you know, you're, you, like you said, you're down there training these guys at the boot camp, at the power plant and you're, you're on the road right. and, and I don't know, I think they call it a jobber at the very beginning. You're getting beat up. Sure. Do you have to work your way up to, to finally get, get to the undercard? To get to the main event, main event being the big leagues. Is do you think it's a similar comparison to the minor leagues where I mean, we start in rookie ball? Not, and if we make it, or is that not a really a fair comparison? Not really, because those guys are all been they've already paid their dues somewhere. And they're just trying very few guys can like I came out and got my ass kicked when I started from a manager to a wrestler. Yeah. And I knew if I didn't leave, so it was kind of like something that needed to happen. You know, when Bill Watts let me go, I, I, I quit before he let me go. Um, but yeah, I had to leave because all I was seen is a guy who got beat. You know, I get a win here and there, but it didn't mean anything. And so in wrestling, like there's independent worlds where people can go off and do you know, their thing there and try to get to, you know, get back to the show. Uh, and some guys just sit there, but the power plant took ex athletes, you know, or guys who were really good on the independent scene. And now here's your break, but only someone like a Goldberg got pushed through the moon because Bill looked like a world champion, <laughs> you know, he looked right. and he acted, you know, he was top, you know, he was, as, as high as you could go and, you know, played for the Georgia Bull, you know, for the dogs. And, um, you know, he was, he was as high as you could go in the collegiate effort. And he spent seven years in the NFL, but he never, you know, he never made a, got a break there because he kept getting hurt. You know, but when you saw, and I, I literally saw him because he, 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 I saw that footage when he was smacking them balls out there. Like Goldberg could really play any sport. He was just a full, natural athlete. And the son of a bitch is still, I think he just had his last match. I've got to believe it's his last match. He's come back. He's retired. He, he's been in the Hall of Fame, yet he still, he still is, uh, was coming back and wrestling. Why? Because he draws. You know? Yeah, he's, he's, he's got that. He's got that it factor. By the way, today I was driving around, going to the dentist to fix my tooth, of course, and I watched your Halloween havoc. You and uh, you and Goldberg. Savage. I watched Savage it. I watched that it. That was a great match. Yeah, great I watched match. that. How did how did DDP? All right, you're you're coming out of this these boot camps now. You're coming. You're coming out of uh, the power plant. How did you become DDP? Who who set you up? Who who? How did you decide to market yourself that way? Where'd you come up with the self high five? Uh, how'd you become you? How'd you become this, this eventual world champion? Well, really it started with beginning. When I became a wrestler, I had every single gimmick you could have, you know, and sometimes I'd be doing them all at the same time. I might be chewing gum and smoking a cigar and wearing sunglasses. You know, I mean, I had every single gimmick you could have. And Eric Bischoff was the guy who made me start. Eric Bischoff ran the company. We were best friends. 
Um, and over a period of time, um, he made me start losing all the gimmicks and just be yourself, right? Just be yourself. And, and I say this in my speaking stuff, you know, it's like, you know, when Tracy Joseph Funkenberg stopped trying to become this bigger than life wrestling persona and Diamond Dallas Page and Diamond Dallas Page started to take on the characteristics of Page Joseph Falkenberg. That's when my career took off like a rocket. Because I started reading things that people would say, like whether it was Lex Luger or Sting or Hogan or whoever, and so much of it, even though I was a heel, I was a bad guy, they wouldn't talk about that. If someone asked them, somebody, you know, uh, give us a line, like who's Diamond Dallas Page? Insane work ethic. Hardest worker ever. No one will believe what he's done. So, I mean, like all the stuff that they were saying was true, but I was never talking about that. And I thought, I'm going to start talking about that. Like what, what really brought me to this dance? Like I'm the anomaly. I wasn't supposed to happen. And I remember I had an interview and me and Randy had really, me and Randy Savage were the feud of the year in 1997. And after that match, I came out with ice bags on my shoulders and my, my, I was so bruised up and a black eye and, you know, cause we're out there, we're trying not to kill each other, you know, but you know, that fake shit gets real, real, real fast sometimes. I, lo- and, I love uh, when you say that, that fake, that fake shit. Cause you're right. And, <laughs> and especially to just the average guy that doesn't, hasn't watched Oh, that's not real. And then you think about it, you go, yeah. well, what do you mean it's not real? Yeah, there's an outcome that's been pre prefabricated, but how they get to that outcome looks pretty real oh. to me, and it looks yeah, pretty me, tough to me. me and I and yeah, I love how too. I still love how you put it. You put that it's 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 like one in the Oscar. It's not they don't just hand yeah. it to you. You you've said it many times, and I have that right here. It's you didn't just just luck into winning it. You earned it. There was a reason that they said nope. He's the world champion. You, like you said, you beat. Sting, Hogan, Flair, the biggest guys in the industry. Uh, Ted Turner, it's WCW against Vince McMahon is the WWE. Uh, you're three-time world champ. You're a four-time tag team world champ. When you had those belts, now I know when you win it, you, they give you the belt and you hold it up. But just having those belts, cool? It's got to be cool. Yeah. Even yeah, though it's I'm the proud, fake real. <laughs> and I and I've got and I've got one of I've got one of each one of them, and I've got them in my in my gym. I've got my Hall of Fame belt. I, I wish you were we do you know most like most ninety percent of the stuff I do is Zoom. You know, uh, I would love you to see like my war room. It's insane because I've got this huge downstairs area. At my house, you know, we got the big screen, like the like the big movie screen. But I'm, the walls are filled with from the magazine covers to like stuff that you know the world championships, all the world champions of WCW. To like, and I'm looking right now at me and Bo Jackson, me and Carl Malone, me and Ali, <laughs> me and Flair, and 
and uh, Clint Eastwood and Hulk and Kiss. And I mean, all this like crazy run that I was on and got to live this crazy dream. Um, one of the things I was starting to say to you that after mining Savage's first match and he got injured too, he tore his Achilles, not bad, but bad enough to put him out a month, which is great because it extended our our feud. And I came out there and I said, I am the anomaly. You know, what's an anomaly? Something that wasn't supposed to happen. But I did happen. And I happened to you, Savage, and the place went crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like thinking of things that make you different and makes you different stand out. Like nobody did that better than a rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin, or Hulk Hogan, or Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes. You know, you're always trying to find, like, in this world where it's all been done, what makes you different? And I always say there's better than, there's less than, and whoever's not the best is less than, unless you're different than, you know? But it's pretty awesome because, you know, you're, you're in the bar business. It starts that way. You're talking to Jake the Snake. Next thing you know, Rhodes gives you a little bit of a pep talk that you're not expecting. And at first, you don't even believe it. Next thing you know, it comes to fruition. Jake the Snake along the way. Hogan grabbing you when you're on the road, you know, about to get on a bus and go another eight hours. Say, hey, kid, you got something. And me and you can make some money. So you're getting little sides as as your career's going up, going, you know, starting to blossom like, Wait a minute. Maybe I am different. Maybe, why are these Why are these big boys keep coming up to me and saying they see something that that other that they don't see in other people? You know, I, I wouldn't imagine that that Rhodes, Jake, the Snake, and Hogan are making a. Uh, it's normal for them to just tap new wrestlers on the shoulder and say, "Hey, kid, you've got something." No, these guys aren't bullshitting you. Yeah? They're, they're those are those are signs, and they end up coming to fruition. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And again, it goes back to what we started talking about at the beginning of the show, you know, confidence. Like everything really comes down to people being confident in themselves, whether it's, you know, a man or a woman being attracted to each other or a business person or, or someone who's on the TV, you know, and, uh, you know, what attracts you to follow that person to, well, let me check their career or singer, or, you know, um, like I just met a kid, his name is Jason Chase. I met him through his dad, dad's super dude. And, um, Jace, uh, Jackson, Jackson Chase and Jackson's 15. If you heard this kid sing, you'd think you're listening to someone who's 38. He's a, he's a country singer. And he loves all the old country. And uh, this, this kid's going to be huge. <laughs> Just remember the name, Jackson Chase, because he's different than like all these, all the country artists, not all of them, but a lot of them today, they're kind of pop. Not this kid. His favorites, he's 15, are Merle Haggard, Raylan Jennings. Johnny Cash, John Anderson, like guys that, like, were, you know, that I grew up listening to, <laughs> you know, and right. he, uh, and he is, he's just going to be special. It's like being different then, you know, make sure you set yourself out from the pack. 
2001, you got you go to the WWE when the WCW kind of goes away. Vince brings yeah. you with him. Uh, how was that coming over to to kind of the enemy side? No, it wasn't wasn't really. I thought it was going to be magic, <laughs> but you see, we almost put them out of business. Like we really almost put the WWF out of business. And the only thing that saved them was the angle that Stone Cold did with Vince McMahon. And it got white hot and it shifted the tide. And again, I'm thinking like, you know, my career's gonna end at WWF. I grew up where you did, dude. We we're Jersey boys, you know. We we watched the WWF when we were kids, you know, and uh I couldn't wait to go there. I didn't realize Vince wanted to destroy anything that WCW did. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of times fans will get mad at you for what happens, but they don't understand. There's a writer, just like on a sitcom or a drama, you know, there's writers. And a lot of times those actors too will fight for their spot. You know, but when they write, you're getting killed, you get killed. You get killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. Vince was not, it wasn't about, it really wasn't, in the beginning I took it personally, and then I realized it had nothing to do with me personally. Whoever the guy was that was come over from WCW that was a top guy, he was going to get crushed. And I had to, you know, bear that. And that's why when I told you I didn't want to do the play-by-play when they wanted me, they wanted me to do the, you know, the color analytics like Jesse did. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to take some time. And when they said, think about it, we'll call you back in two weeks. And they called me back in two weeks. And I was like, nah, I'm going to take some time. And I went, click. <laughs> and I Next. didn't hear from them for five, for five years. And, uh, Five years later, though, they wanted me to do the very best of Nitro, and they did a lot of really good stuff for me after that. And then when I did the whole resurrection of Jake the Snake, and they saw that I cleaned up two of our buddies that were a mess, that, uh, okay, he really is a good dude, you know, and... WWF has treated me very well since then. <laughs> they are going to do a and E biography on me. They just called me, so you know they they keep their their top talent out there. You know, and I'm you know just it's great for me and my company and my brand. You know. Yeah, very cool. Um, you retire shortly thereafter. 2011, you make a comeback. And I was thinking about this, too. And I was trying to put the years together. I'm going, all right, he's 45 years. Now he's making a comeback. And I'm, <laughs> it's, it's hurting my back just thinking about it. You come back, you end up getting hurt. DDP, oh, and I won't say it, not yoga. DDPY comes go. to fruition a year <laughs> later after you make your comeback. Probably, I, I, I have a feeling it had a little something to, to do with how you were feeling in that comeback. Oh, without the program, there is no, there's no nothing. You know, I actually had my last match in AEW, which was two years ago, um, about, I guess about a month ago. 
So it would be two years and one month. I was three months from 64. And I, I guess I wish you had, I wish you had a, a video because I would show you a picture of me at 60, almost 64, jumping off the top rope to guys on the floor. So at some point, I'm at least 15 feet in the air and coming down. And it was all about risk versus reward. I went in there and I blew a hell of a comeback. My wife, uh, who I just married, uh, but I've been with her for over two and a half years. And uh, I was with her 10 years earlier. And she had never seen me do anything in the business. And she was like, we were just in the beginning of you know, getting together. And she goes, I really want to come see. I want to see this as part of your life. I want to see it. And when she saw me get in that ring and just tear it up and then come off the top rope down to the guys on the floor, I never told her that part. <laughs> and when I explained the risk and reward, if I go out there and I can perform like I did it for in my 40s, in my 60s, the only reason is because of DDPY. The only reason. And again, it proves everything that I talk about. And uh, she got it then. But it was it was amazing night, man. Amazing night. 2014, you, you make an appearance on Shark Tank. How was that? <laughs> that was magical. We weren't there <laughs> for the deal. We weren't there for the deal. We were there to get coverage, to get legitimacy. The disabled veteran, and uh, I wish I would have had you watch that video because that'll blow your mind. The guy who came out with me, Arthur Borman, he's the guy who put my company on the map, but it happened in 2007. It didn't take off till 2012 and it blew our company up and when we went on shark tank though that was a different animal because we did a million dollars in five days in sales yeah it kind of blew us up big time 2017 and on the on the show, I have a lot of Hall of Famer, a lot of baseball Hall of Famers, football Hall of Famers, and I always got to ask, 2017 for you, uh, you get a pretty special phone call. And uh, WWE Hall of Fame, I don't know how they set it up. I don't know how you find out. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming there's some sort of ritual. Um, take no, me through that there's phone. Not, there's normally they just call you and they miss it. But for me, they were doing, they were doing their version of a biography on me. And it was the last day of shooting and I was in my, in my hometown, Point Pleasant. And it was a sunset shot we were getting. And the cameras are all set up and I get a phone, they hand me the phone, they go, the boss wants to talk to you. And it's Triple H, who's, I started with in WCW. And I'm like, hey man, how you doing? And we're talking. and. At some point, he starts really putting me over because he was there when I got in the ring. He was 22. I was 35. And he was like, what is this guy thinking? Like, he's 35 and a half before, he can, before he'll 
ever figure it out. He'll be too old to do it. And, uh, but I ain't ever seen work ethic like that and blah, 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 blah. And then I realized, wait a minute, he's really putting me over. I look and I see the cameras are on me. And then I'm like, oh my God, is this that call? And then he says, by the way, we're putting you in. And it was, it was magical, you know? Yeah, because, you know, in the, in the Hall of Famers I talked to, you know, some are, are obvious, you know, of course you're going to get in. Of course you're going to get in. Right. But uh, it doesn't matter. The guys that were 10th ballot that make it or the guys that were first ballot, they still say the same thing. You'd never believe it until you get that phone call and they tell you and it hits home. Yeah, you kind of have an idea. Yeah, all your buddies tell you you're in, you're in, you're in. He goes, but until you get that phone call and they tell you, it's still a moment. It's still that moment where my body freezes up and, and yeah. you I, know, chills moment I, for a I, lot I of people. Yeah. Now, there was a point where I said I wish Dusty was here and, he, and Paul Triple H is a big like huge fan of Dusty's as well, you know, and Dusty of him. And uh, I remember Dusty, you know, he would write all the shows. He would write, he saved all of those, those templates of all those big pay-per-views. And he gave Triple H once, he gave him uh, a Starcade, uh, which was the Mac Daddy back in the day when Vince was doing WrestleMania, uh, NWA, NWA, which is their competition, was doing Starcade and Dusty had given it to him. So we both got kind of choked up right there, you know, because it's, you know, Dusty was a special cat and he helped a lot of different people. And But there were certain people he was super, super, super tight with. Do a little rapid fire because of the crossover and because of guys. And, and now, and we're going to talk about a little bit more about uh, your Netflix coming out before, before I let you go. Um, the guys that have made the crossover Hulk Hogan, that, that, you know what? I'm going to start with that as my first one rapid fire Hulk Hogan. Cause that's guys that have gone to wrestling crossed over to mainstream, did the Hollywood thing, have done the TV thing, the movies. Just sum him up in, in a few words. Biggest star of all time. And the only reason I don't give it to Austin is because he didn't have the years that Hulk had. But biggest star of all time in our business. The Rock. Probably one of the biggest, well, uh, if not the biggest the big, movie star the, in the world now. The biggest movie star in the world and he's one of us. Yeah. That's that's where wrestling's come. Unbe you're right. And, and I don't even think, now that you met, I don't even think it's an argument. I think he is the biggest movie no, star he, in the world. No, he is the, he has been for the last three years. But John Batista yeah. is also one of the biggest, there's going to be David Batista. David, David Batista. Batista. He was next. Is it? Yes. That's, he, that's he, what I was going to ask you next. I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a great story about Batista. I met him right before he came into the WWE. 
And, you know, we occasionally, we didn't hang out, but I would talk to him all the time. And you got to remember, even though WWE didn't treat me right up there, I was still seen as a megastar of our guys. So I would always talk to him. And um, then he becomes a humongous star. I'm retired. I, I'm coming back for a, just a run in 2005 just to show what I can do. And I was at an independent show, and the place is packed. And Batista was out doing signing for people, you know, help pack the place out. And, uh, and um, I was signing myself at intermission. And someone stuck their head out. They said, "Hey, Dave wants to uh, say wants to say goodbye." I said, "Oh, really?" I walked out. I go, "Hey, big man!" Gave him a big hug. He said, "You know, when I went to the WWE, everybody looked at me like I was a leper, mainly because they were afraid they're going to lose their job to this beast." You know, so he was he was a, he was a big threat to a lot of people. And he said, and "Nobody would talk to me." He said, well, you did. You, you talk to me all the time. And he goes, I want to tell you how much that meant to me. Cool moment. That's cool the moment. real, that, that's real life stuff right there. That's real yeah. life stuff right there. Um, okay. Let's get, let's get back to uh, the show. Guardians of Ju- Justice, seven episodes starts March 1st. You play Nighthawk. Take me through the rest. Sum it up for the people out there listening to the Boone podcast and what they can expect. Well, well, what they can expect if they're a superhero, if they're looking for a superhero type genre, this is a very dark satire. You know, we have fun with it. We let it get a little campy at times. Uh, it's the first mix in the superhero world of live action and like eight different types of 2D animation, 3D animation, and claymation. And the story, I don't want to, I just want to get people to understand what, what's happening, and then they'll figure it out when they get there. Because it'll be up at 12 o'clock tonight. Well, actually, it'll be up Monday, March 1st. It will be up straight through. And you can just be honest, I love how Netflix has the trailer. So you can see the trailer as it bounces through it. And then you'll really see what I'm talking about. This thing is amazing in the way that it's the first time that, like Batman, the original 1960s Batman that that I grew up with, pow, boom. You know, they had the big pow and boom. Well, this is that. If you became a real video game, the fight scenes, or you remember those video games in the eighties had bars over your head and you'd be, as you're beating up the guy, the bars would go down. Like it's like being in a 1980s video game on steroids and that's the fight scenes. So the, the story is like, I don't even want to get into that part because it's something happens to like marvelous man would be Superman. Uh, Nighthawk, who I play, would be Batman, but Batman never gets older than 40, where Nighthawk is in his 60s. He drinks, 
he smokes, he takes pills, he's got cancer, he's a tough son of a bitch, and he kills for the greater good, where Batman don't do any of that shit. <laughs> no. So, <laughs> let alone Robin. Yeah, right. So, bo- bottom line is is that this 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 genre is a kaleidoscope of uh, superhero genre mixed together in a very dark format that would have been much darker <laughs> if Netflix had its way, which they did. They, it was too dark for them, so they had to have us lighten it up. But it, this is a uh, a work of passion for me, and it's one of those things that could take off, you know, or who knows? Because you never know what you never know what's going to take off. But what what's interesting, and I'll I'll just read you something. Like there's a bunch of really cool, um, uh, a bunch of really cool press that's come out. Like I'm looking at one right here. It says. 10 best TV shows like the guardians of justice. And this is just really all superhero stuff. And it says uh, created by Adi, Adi Shank or the upcoming Netflix original series, the guardians of justice is a satirical superhero TV show that fuses animation with live action. The multimedia action comedy follows the exploits of Marvelous Man, a superhero thrust back into action when nuclear war threatens to destroy planet Earth, delegating the authority to the optimistic speed and the pessimistic Nighthawk. So that that's one thing. What's really interesting, they talk about in the same thing of these 10 best shows, their superhero shows, um, they, they talk about um, the boys and they compare what we're doing, but different than the boys, which I thought was really cool. And, they, and it was another show that they brought up and talked about that. But the ones that I really like that had different reviews were um, articles that came out that had nothing to do with superhero stuff. And um, one is they put up Brighton season two, eight more spectacular shows to see on Netflix. And these are seven Seven now. Here's here's this one writes. Unfortunately, we're still waiting for the arrival of Stranger Things, but fear not. There are plenty of titles worth seeing in March, including the beloved series that's gained a lot of buzz and a spinoff of a Netflix hit. Let's dive into these below. And it says the Guardians of Justice. I can't imagine there are people out there. <laughs> I can't imagine there are people out there rolling their eyes at the arrival of yet another superhero series after a decade of them. Here's the good news for that crowd. This animated series from Adi Shankar is meant to parody the superhero genre. The Guardians of Justice is a dark satire of the world of superheroes who must confront the darkness of the world and themselves within the leader when the leader blows up. I'm sold on this series because the main actor is legendary wrestler Diamond Dallas Page, but I'm sure there are other reasons to watch as well. <laughs> 
That's very <laughs> cool. That one. That's very I'm going to, I'm going to check it. And my kids are definitely going to check it. They, they, uh, they said, dad, who's, who's, on, the show who's on the show tonight? Uh, my twins are 17 oh, and, okay. uh, okay, yeah. And, yeah. And they're, I'll tell you what, my brother, he called me today. Aaron called me. They got the lockout going. So he's got nothing else to do. And he, he always said, who, who you got coming on the show? I, I told him DDP he goes DDP. Well, Aaron, he was a teammate of mine. I had my little brother on the Reds team when I told you that clubhouse was going crazy when it, you know, when the oh, two guys, man. it was the good guys and the bad guys. Aaron was a part of that crew. I wasn't, he was, and he goes, Oh, DDP's on tonight. He goes, Oh, call me afterwards. Tell me how it went. So you got another fan <laughs> and Aaron, you got another fan at Aaron Boone. You got my kids wanting to know about uh, this guardians of justice. I said, well, I got the, I got a, I got the pre-release tapes. I might let you sneak a sneak a peek, but uh, one of my twins, he'd, he'd definitely be interested in it. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page, this has been a lot of fun, man. What a, what a life. Uh, the, the new show coming out, the, the DDPY, not yoga, out there listening in, in Boom Podcast Land. It's not yoga. We're men here. It's DDPY. And, and after the show, uh, he's going to fill me in and, and, and kind of get me up to speed on that. But uh, it's, it's been an honor. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, what a run. What a life uh, from, from running bars to start when you're 35 years old to being a world champion to, to uh, being a Hall of Famer. Uh, but I appreciate Thank coming you, on the show. And what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast is we bring in the voice. And that voice is Dan Levy. Dan. All right, Brett, that's going to do it for the Brett Boone podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director and producer and the voice of the Boone podcast. EP executive producer, Rich Herrera. Digital content gets done by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone podcast with neighbors and friends. Make sure you subscribe to the Boone podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. To follow Brett Boone on social media, he is at the Boone 29. You can follow me on Base On Air, B-A-S-S On Air. And for all of us here on the Boom Podcast, I'm Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Take care.